0: This is the Red on Red podcast on redfm.ie.
1: This week on the podcast, we're talking with Altered Hours guitarist and vocalist Carl McGowan. Former 10 past 7 man Rory Francis O'Brien with The Veil and Fixity with IYMTG. This is Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast dropping every Wednesday via redfm.ie. My name is Mike McGrath, Brian, and for the next hour or so, we're chatting with Altered Hours guitarist and vocalist, Cahal McGowan. Call, how are you, buddy? Very well, Mike. Thanks for having me on. It's been a really busy spring for you. You've been on tour around Europe supporting your new EP uh, and your festival season has just kicked off. You played It Takes a Village there just over a week ago back mm-hmm. in trubogan yeah how the tour treaty and what was it like to come home then and kind of finish that swing of dates with a gig in trubogan
2: um it was lovely i mean uh yeah it's been a busy time for us um yeah i don't really enjoy when there's a week off we came off we came home and there was a week it was, we'd done a rake of shows around europe and then there was a week off so you kind of come back into your like usual habits so it took Twice as much energy to kind of get going and be like, all right, grab the guitar, grab the amps, put them in the back and let's let's rock and roll. But um, yeah, it takes a village. Was, it was really nice and uh, it was just uh, it was nice to do a Cork show at the end of a trip rather than the start, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of felt nice and relaxing to come home to.
1: And how did it feel to be playing in Trebolgan? Wasn't it the Cove you were in?
2: We were in the Cove stage, yeah.
1: That was a really, really nice stage. Uh, I went down for the Saturday mm-hmm. there myself and the feeling of it was it's like it was just kind of like a mini life at St. Luke's Fields kind of into this weird corner of yeah. the holiday camp um, like what was it like playing in that space and dealing with that space
2: um, well for us often I mean yeah they definitely went for the Luke's lights I think you could see that straight away the kind of big you laser beam lights and
1: you saw the line array of speakers as well yeah, up the front yeah, as well
2: yeah um, no it was a really nice stage um, they did a great job um, I think everyone was very curious as to how that festival was going to go what it would be like yeah, I, just, I found it quite easy actually to play there. To be honest, it was it was it was just a nice, simple, fun fun show. Tickets are now on sale for It Takes a Village 2019. <laughs>
1: available from Uticket.ie. Uh, extremely early bird tickets available as a response almost to the positive uh, reception that the festival has got. I so. Guess so
2: yeah, uh, It's so terrifying when people think about 2019, isn't it? You're just coming to terms with 2018, or I'm still I coming am.
1: to terms with 2001. Much less yeah, anything else. I, I mean,
2: know. still got those cargo shorts on and stuff.
1: I actually have a pair of cargo shorts at home. <laughs> yeah. I just wear them around the house. Um, but we'll dial things back. Not quite as far back as 2001. Okay. But the Altered Hours, uh, for those unfamiliar with the band, have been a staple of the Cork music scene for nigh on the last decade now. Uh, trading in a kind of a psychedelic, inflected, really lean kind of post-punk take on whatever you're having yourself, really. Cool. Because <laughs> um, it's hard to try and kind of sum you up You started in 2009, Mm -hmm. thereabouts, and right off the bat, there's an incredible amount of creativity and a little bit of a buzz surrounding you at a time when, you know, cork music is still very much kind of recovering from another purple period of its own. Mm. Uh, The recession is just about to hit. Venues have begun to shutter, venues that would have been, you know, keepers for the scene throughout the Celtic Tiger And the face of the Cork music scene is starting to change and move away from the post-rock and house music, etc., that had kind of carried it through the prior decade. What are your memories of how the band came together?
2: I guess uh, the simple answer is just the music I was listening to and we were listening to at the time. But also, um, I think um, uh, me and Elaine... I've um, always had a bit of An adventurous spirit And we always We always tried to live In like strange places For a couple of months Or like we moved to like The Cliffs of Moher once Just to live there For a few months Just for like no reason How did that go? Um, it was beautiful And you know Got to, got a lot of songs written And I think back in It was kind of The very start of the recession And like the rent Was like 37 euros a month In some cottage Or some crazy thing That's what I was paying Anyway I remember It was like insane so- Like living In a place called Hag's Head it was called And uh You killed someone for that now? <clears throat> you would yeah Pretty much yeah Give it another couple of years, man And uh, Yeah I mean, I think the The sound came from Our lives, you know To some degree I mean, this is in retrospect now At the time you're just Playing some chords Trying to write a song And it's easy Nine Nine, nearly ten years on To kind of see it in this light But I think I think a lot of our music Has always been influenced by Like, you know The feeling of Where our lives want to be And what we want to The things lacking In our normal day-to-day lives Are the things we want to Put into our music And our band, I think And that's, that's what I think why it seemed to have it kind of stood out to some people straight away or something like that you know what I mean the
1: lineup of the Altered Hours was kind of quite fluid in the beginning too there was a number of different people that kind of came in yeah. and out what was that like to deal with um, with kind of lineups being fluid how did that kind of affect or inform the creative process that
2: you would later kind of set in stone for yourselves as a five piece the fluidity of the members in the past or whatever you, way you want to put it they, um, they came and went because um, I had decided very early on to my detriment to some degree that I would never stop, you know, that yeah. I was just like, I'm on this, I don't want to do anything else, I'm just going to start a band, I want to sweat around the world, I want to play music, I know it. And uh, maybe I was, you know, I was a little younger, I had quite, I mean, maybe the wrong type of confidence at times, but I think um, it helped overall just keep it going, but... um, mm. Um, that's why so if someone had to leave or they were too busy with work or something that was actually probably very important to them I would just be like okay that's not enough you know you need to be here and do this you know and luckily never nothing ever ended unamicably it was all good they just understood I kind of needed to do this in this pace and some people couldn't or wouldn't or didn't want to you know at the time I was writing all the songs and it was very like I can do this anyway I'll do it you know no matter what and uh, I think it was when Kevin joined and Andrew, our, uh, the guitarist before him, left. I thought, oh, because Andrew had done so much for the band in sound-wise and really kind of showed me a lot of records and it kind of started to develop, actually, like the way the songs were written and everything, you know, it really started to become a, a permeate our lives, like his influence, you know. And uh, when he left, I the first time I was, like, really worried. I was like, oh, now there's someone else and going to decide, like, my, you know, what happens to the band if they leave or come and stuff. And that freaked me out. And uh, when Kevin came, then he had this whole new world of uh, influences and I mean he really he really had a huge effect on the band up up to now actually so
1: we've mentioned that the band was maybe a little bit of the product of the recession in short order you sort yourselves out a studio space mm-hmm. in the then nascent sample studios which moves into the former Foss offices on Sullivan's Key that are now currently uh, a bit of a demolition derby yeah outline I suppose the mindset of the five of you holding up into this studio for the first time knowing that it's a little bit kind of your turf your place to create and the work
2: that kind of emanated from the band now that you've kind of settled as a five piece well I think that was like the, the, the absolute formation of our band was when we moved into the, the Foss building there the ex-Foss building That I mean I, again it's in retrospect that I can say this because obviously you're just find a practice space where you can make some noise was, was number one but I mean, the fact that it was so uh, personalised to us and we had a key and we could lock that and just leave our instruments there and there was couches to hang out and chat and listen to music all night and like get drunk together all night or whatever we wanted to do in there. You know, we, There was no boundaries as such because it was just a locked door and a private kind of rental system. Um, when I look back, I realized that that really created who we were actually because we could kind of create a little world in there and... You know, it, you know, you leave practice and all your gear in the same mess it was the next day when you come back and you can kind of re-enter it. I don't know. I mean, a home. Yeah, a, a home. Yeah, pretty much. You know, exactly. A home for the band. And I feel like that had a huge effect on us, actually. Yeah.
1: Things that would have flown before and the idea of a band having a key to a city centre studio. I know. It
2: seems insane now, doesn't it? And we thought that. I mean, I didn't think the recession was going to be whatever when Fina Gael announced a couple of months ago that... The recession is over apparently, I remember they said that, it was kind of like, it's over now, which everyone was like, really? But I didn't think it was going to end no. <laughs> officially that quickly, you know, and, and I mean, you see the city now, it's so different. Just in regards to practice spaces, we used to, I used to walk around with like Tom and Dan from the Trumpets Jericho and we could point at buildings be like, will we call them? Will we just call them and get a, see if we can offer them, they're making no money, we've got some money, we'll, we we can leave at short notice because we've got nothing and no future anyway. Yeah. so we, could, we, had no, we had nothing to lose like I mean when we got the sample studios running or right before that when we actually moved in I met the head guy from Bam Construction in the Clarion Hotel me like and one other guy and this is 10 years ago Mental. and I'm like yo we want a practice space we've got this rock and roll band we're gonna like make a load of records and like do all this crazy stuff how do you feel about that and he, he looks away and he looks back and he's like that's a great idea just pay the rates or whatever it was, or whatever. I mean, how crazy is that now?
1: That six track EP got done inside of Sample Studios. Yeah. Inside of Cracks in the Light. Mm-hmm. You're working alongside collaborators. The EP downstream releases in twenty eleven. I think so, yeah. By now the momentum is beginning to get behind you and that you've got a good reputation already as a live band. You can now back it up with a six track EP that you've been working on methodically. I suppose outline the creative process and the changes that kind of occurred in the band's dynamic
2: no like uh downstream was very much uh the best of like twenty songs that i'd written for the first time, kind of not for the first time in my life but for this band and 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 just wanted to push them out so we could get shows that e p was so we could get shows and show that like the production would say something mm. you know like uh so that kind of worked. We got our launch show and it was the first time I met um Joe Kelly from the Pav at the time and um he he was nice enough to allow us to put our first show on in the pav. I think to launch that, I think I liked him at the time and said that it was finished. Even <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, the six seven tracks finished. We're totally going to take the date because I didn't I didn't know he could offer us another date. I was like, oh my god, sometime in November. I, yeah, it's totally done. Let's take the date and then it's good to set a deadline anyway because you get yeah. you actually get it done. But um, I think at that show was how we got to Berlin in the end. Actually, funny enough, it was that direct. A guy, um, a guy called Ben Patterson, who was a friend of some of the guys over in Berlin um, where we recorded Sweet Jelly Rolls, saw us at that show, literally kind I of, somehow contacted us or went for a pint or something. It was like, yo, man, I'm like, you know, I can uh, sort you out with some studio time uh, in Anton Newcomb's studio in Berlin. And I was like, yeah, I love that band. Follow Anton Newcomb religiously. Like, would, that would yes. Brian
1: Jonestown Massacre, for those who don't yeah, know.
2: Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so. <laughs>
1: we'll talk a little bit more about the creative process. Uh, and follow up records after we come back from some music you've chosen a bit of a playlist for us this evening as is now tradition on the Red on Red podcast you've got Rosalind Steer with Hey Sunshine
2: um, yeah Rosalind Steer huge fan of her work um, she's an incredible human being and this song I remember hearing it while I was recording in Berlin during doing Sweet Jelly Roll and I heard it by myself and I just thought it was the most beautiful thing and you've
1: got O Emperor
2: what make it rain the boys
1: love the boys any further comment? no alright so we'll get straight to it so this is Rosalind Steer with Hey Sunshine here on Red on Red Emperor with Make It Rain here on Red on Red as as chosen by Cahill McGowan still in
2: studio with us Great tune there by Emperor
1: It's a really good portent of where they're going with this new sound of theirs where yeah, they've kind I of taken it. all of this influence from you know House and African synthesizers yeah. and all of that like it's just a, like I really can't wait to see more of where where they're going with this Yeah
2: but And they're using the studio so much like you can hear like the kind of production is so like particular like on the drums with the percussion it's like saying oh, so yeah. much you know bringing so much their record collection and stuff into the into that song you can hear it anyway
1: before we before we went to music there we were talking a little bit about your first couple of recording jaunts mm-hmm. and by the time 2012 rolls around etc there's a little bit of a national profile now you put together the downstream EP in order to try and get more shows Sweet Jelly Roll kind of exists in its own little space as a, as, as a little bit of shoegazing following on from what you were doing the Dig Early single releases via Art for Blind who at the time were running a stall in Cork Community uh, Print Shop and mm-hmm. And are really, you know, platforming cork music and really making sure that it gets seen. And it's a little bit of radical departure in between records. Maybe not so much in terms of live and how you've been working on Mm. all along. Where did the idea for The Girlie
2: come from? I think it came from two places. Uh, One, it was just some demo I had on a four track from a couple of years before. And then what really transformed the song... Was uh, Kevin's guitar part uh, Where he like swipes his arm Violently up and down the guitar And it kind of sounds nothing like a guitar It's kind of uh, I think that kind of solidified the track Um, We used to just jam it at shows And kind of do it as a kind of a jam track And then it became Kind of structured throughout that And then when we recorded it We kind of Put it in stone So it kind of had a bit of a Loose journey for those unfamiliar with the hours, the Dig Early
1: single is available for streaming on the band's band camp and is something of a f- live favourite. The single brought you on to further national attention from the blogosphere. Um, places like the Thin Air, obviously, specifically became very big fans in very short order. You had been getting drips and drabs of local attention. I suppose outline what the buzz around the song dig early and the single dig early did for years as a band and kind of what opportunities came from the little bit of buzz that yourselves and Art for Blind had helped generate underneath it
2: Um, I, I think I think what I noticed about that track is you can't control what track people are just going to like yeah. you know like you could you could plan it all day in a studio and with the management team not that we have but you know you could do you could go to great lengths to plan you know a release that people are going to love this this summer and they're going to dance you know and they're going to drink Heineken have a great night on this song, you know, and yeah. like I just don't think it works like that. People, people's ears are actually, you know, more interesting than that. And yeah. I think we we literally dropped that song just we were in Berlin recording, yeah, for the second time. we were recording in Heat Not Sorry, and we put that song. I ran out to the cafeteria where there was Wi Fi, put the song on the internet, emailed like five people, went back in and started recording for eight hours. The next album, like that's how personally that video was released. Was exactly like that, and we were in Berlin busy as hell for the next three weeks recording. Came home and did an Irish tour, yeah. And I did notice a difference when we came home because the with three days off after that, and we did at the certain three tour with Miles Manley actually in another UK band called Patterns. And yeah. people were loving that song. And when we played the Pav, people were going mad for that song. And I definitely noticed at that point that people. We're connecting to it. Art
1: for Blind obviously put their weight behind the seven-inch release
2: uh-huh. and a lot of the
1: press. What was it like that first time around dealing with Danny, uh, the the label head, and kind of getting that relationship started? How did you come to trust one another and and um, work together on 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 that and
2: further releases? I guess as most things in the Cork music scene, it was through Albert Toomey. Hey, hey, and uh, yeah, I think I think Albert and Danny knew each other from before even Danny moved to Cork and Danny called up to Sample Studios before we'd done Dig earlier and thing and I remember just chatting to him and just getting on well and uh, Adele works with Art for Blind too um, they're kind of running it together actually yeah my apologies yeah I mean it's been a quite a simple nice relationship actually every they keep things quite basic and they just do do a great job and that's kind of the way we like to do it when a release in a record too not overcomplicate anything and just try and do a good simple job and get a good product out in regards to the vinyl like packaging and all that stuff and uh, it's very, it's been very pleasurable and easy actually I must say The whole lot of them Danny, Albert and Adele
1: kind of all came together to jointly release um, your first album mm-hmm. In Heat Not Sorry which released in 2016 obviously being a first record and after you know a certain amount of momentum being built a certain amount of expectation being built up what were your thoughts going back to Berlin, but also a little bit of a weight of putting together something that would stand to its own as an LP,
2: while leaving Dig Early off it as well? Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people were confused by that. We left Dig Early and Sweet Jelly Roll off of yeah the first thing because technically Sweet Jelly Roll is a single too. So a lot mm. of people are like, how did you leave them off? They're like, they are still are actually our biggest listening songs. You know, I think really, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. Um, you know, just like stats wise or whatever. All right. I went into the studio to do In Heat Not Sorry to make another record you know that's I mean like and to try and make it real and genuine and to be relevant to our lives which is the thing that we try and strive for which is not a very easy thing to do actually because you're just I mean we make rock music so how far can you go with this but that's that's the the way we talk about it and think about it a lot so um, that's kind of why we left Dig Early off because we realised it was from another time and even though that would help solidify the record as a kind of bring together a lot of people and celebrate the album as a kind of a, you know, oh, I love this track by the Altered Hours, now they've released an album, that's on it and this is on it. You know, we kind of just made this other new thing. Judging by the reaction even from my friends, some people had, a lot of people had a lot of things to say about that, you know, Mm. even on a personal level, you know, friends and stuff, some people were like, God, it's too heavy, I can't listen to that record, it's way too, it's not fun to listen to, and other people are like, I love it, or... Some people love the cover Some people hated the cover Like friends of mine I'm not even talking about uh, Which is even more interesting um, Which I totally welcome I love that stuff I mean my dream is to have a band Where you know 50% of people hate it And 50% of people love it Because it means that They're engaging with it Well yeah exactly uh, we knew what we'd done. Like we knew we'd made a record that was like particularly had a particular feeling and a particular place and time for us. So mm. that's how I knew it was an album because it was something and not nothing. You know,
1: in abandoning kind of early material in order to break and create an entirely new body of work for your first record, um, going back to Berlin, going back to studio, going back now again with having the confidence, having put together that first DP. How was the creative process for the album different? from what you had been doing prior?
2: I mean, it was a different studio. It was Berlin, same engineer, but an entirely different studio. In He Not Sorry, it was made in an amazing building called the Funk House. Um,
1: Is this the former DDR yeah. studio? Yeah,
2: so they did all these. It was, it was just mind-blowing. So that had an effect, you know, as much as I didn't want it to. It just did. Yeah. Um, and so that was a huge difference. Um, secondly, I mean, I knew that I didn't want to keep making the same kind of music at that point and I knew that was going to be disappointing me because part of me knew God this band is doing okay I could kind of brand this now as a kind of a shoegaze psych band and do this the right way and keep making songs sort of similar mix and kind of vibe to Sweet Jelly Roll or something and I, mem- I remember listening to Sweet Jelly Roll for when it was done and being so happy with it and then being like God I could keep making tracks like that I kind of know I could kind of like a chameleon if you know what I mean I could keep copying and kind of doing versions of that to kind of brand this band and I just knew I wasn't going to do that because I just would never do that so I was just like okay I'm just going to keep making new you know versions of music or myself in every record and that's why a lot of you know a lot of people allude to the idea that um, we're hard to pin down sometimes that way you know But the risk taking
1: paid off when you hear back the record now I mean people are saying it's inaccessible or it's heavy like Way of Sorrow is just such a really good way into the record Yeah yeah that's a fun one yeah I mean it's, it's so lean and aggro yet also just fuzzy and heavy and to me kind of the assertion that it's a heavy record to get into doesn't necessarily stand up we're back to the playlist there you've got Crevice with Anchorless, yeah and uh, the great Arthur Pausey, yeah. arthritis, yeah, with Bathe an interesting musician with an interesting record
2: yeah one of the most unique people we got around I think at the moment like the stuff he makes and the way he does it and uh, he, he plays in a band called Land Crabs as well, which I find incredible as well. Like their And Museum. Museum as well. I mean, I, I actually love everything uh, Arthur Art does. And uh, yeah, I picked this one because it's just nice and chill, actually. But overall, he's, an, he's, a, he's, he's a great asset to this, this musical community, I think.
1: And we'll get to his music straight after some crevice. This is Anchorless from the In Heart Tape here on Red On Red. Arthur Itis with Bathe here on Red On Red. Of course, that tune chosen by our guest in studio this week, Cahill McGowan of The Altered Hours. Howdy doody. Your first album is in the can. European touring is kind of out of the way for the first time, really. And there's a whole heap of momentum now. You're mentioning in hot press. You're mentioning the Irish Times. All of this stuff kind of starts building up and it leads to your ongoing working relationship with Joe Kelly of It Takes a Village ex the Pavilion and currently of the Good Room proposing that you top off their jazz weekend offering for last year at Live at St. Luke's which for those of you that haven't had the pleasure of being in that venue is the former cathedral at St. Luke's Cross. It does what it says in the tin. It's this massive cavernous beautiful cathedral that's been deconsecrated. It kind of represents a big milestone where a venue of that size shows confidence in you to not only fill it up on the biggest weekend of the year and to stand toe-to-toe with other headliners that they have coming in that weekend but also that you can expand your sound and your on stage dynamic to fit that gigantic stage and that gigantic space, really, the gigantic size, just the size of the cathedral. Like, What were your thoughts when you were given the proposal for playing at Life at St. Luke's? And how do you prepare for doing something like that for the first time?
2: I guess Joe called me. He he, he often does an email and he calls. He's old school. Yeah, which I, which I think is cool. Um, so I probably can't remember it specifically. It's probably a long chat, you know. Um, I I viewed the whole thing like a risk actually personally. You know, I kind of thought, wow. I mean it's also seated it's not actually officially standing even though it ended up everyone standing and having a really good time that night I mean Mm. I was viewing it like a seated gig you know which makes no sense for us in a lot of ways I had to kind of consider that um, we took it pretty quick though because I was like man I just love risks and I like the idea of maybe taking a risk and people I I enjoyed I enjoyed when I'd meet people on the street who were saying "Oh yeah, I'm looking forward to the show and uh, they're like oh it'd be really interesting to see you (laughs) everyone I knew a lot of people who followed us were wondering like curious as to how that would be which I enjoy because then you know it's a risk you know where you're kind of like God, I don't even know I don't know either you know what I mean no yeah. one knows how this is going to go actually and that's that's a cool that's a cool thing actually I think Um it also leads to the risk of it failing and everyone walking out of there thinking that was a really bad idea who do they think they are thinking they could play in such a big venue but I mean we just got I mean essentially as well why I took why we took it and we were so lucky to be asked. I was humbled to be asked by Joe to do something like that. The reason I took it, because it wasn't just its a gig, you know, you you plug in your guitar and you, you play a gig wherever it is, you know. It
1: worked. The risk worked, certainly, because, as you mentioned, you were able to get people out of your, their seats. But, like. Yeah, I was really surprised by that. You were the headliners of a very solid bill in that it was yourselves, it was Will from Spaceman 3 mm-hmm. and, and Katie Kim. And Katie Kim. Again three heavyweights all on the same bill specifically Will Crothers opening the show mind yeah. you I mean my god the amount of history attached to that name in terms yeah. of the UK psychedelic rock scene and for him to yeah just man kind of he's
2: a legend you know
1: coming away from that gig personally and not just as a fan or as a friend of yours or whatever but you know and I wasn't the only one that felt it there was the the buzz or the vibe maybe that you had delivered something different from an Altered Hours show the feeling was that you had arrived and I, I keep coming back to that point because, again, it really did feel like we were walking away from a band that had kind of reached a point in time and a moment in time. What were your thoughts coming off that stage and in the days after where you're hearing this kind of feedback about about the show?
2: I guess, I mean, ultimately relief, you know, because I was so a part of actually planning the show. I mean, as an event, I mean, not even just playing, that, that, that it was actually a lot of relief. There was a couple of days where I was like, oh we're at the other side of that gig because it was a bit of a build up to that one you know I was, I was quite proud actually that we could do that yeah I could stand behind that show I felt very relaxed on stage I didn't feel like a, I didn't feel like any of us were pushing it we tried a lot of new songs to make the risk even harder we played like four songs we never played live before which we'll uh, get into there shortly which was kind of like because we don't actually do that that much uh, we often kind of keep them in the practice space for a long time until we can really play you know uh, so that was kind of fun to get to kind of felt like we were chancing that a bit. And uh, I had such a fun night, actually. We hung out with Will and I got to know Katie Kim a lot better that night. I had, I had a lovely night, actually, which meant a lot to me, too. I kind of can't believe that people enjoy our band, you know, because it's a whole other human being and their whole journey taking the time and energy and money and whatever else to and, you know, soul to go and, you know, share it with our thing. you know. And we're, you know, I find that incredible, actually. So I kind of can't even take it in or, or I get too emotional so when if someone says like we've arrived or oh my god they're the best band in Ireland or something like I mean I mean I don't I don't under, I don't know what that means but I can't you know I'm like thanks you know I, I'm just like grateful but I can't think about it that much really well I suppose
1: there's the whole thing of kind of you know holding things up to your own internal locus of evaluation as opposed yeah. to relying on others I mean they're others. different
2: right there's, you know I had a different experience at that show than you did obviously even just considering where the two of us were standing you know Yeah. so I mean I don't know i I just. You know. I'm. In regards to reaction, like you're asking me, it's like. Yeah. I mean, a bit of relief, and if people say it was good, then I'm just happy. I'm happy they had a good night, and I'm grateful that they, you know, bought a ticket or whatever. Always amazed that people will spend money on your band. Like
1: the show itself was a little bit of an, a prelude to this spring's burst of touring and the release mm. of your newest EP on My Tongue, available now online from the com as well it's as true. ...as well as from Art for Blind Records and Penske Recordings... ...wherever you find good records being sold in the city. How has it been to work with Art for Blind and Penske at this time... ...with all of the kind of the ironing done out of the way of doing things... ...and more specifically, the touring surrounding it now... ...with a little bit of a head of steam built up... ...and a little bit more knowledge of the different venues that you're going to... ...how something is going to do on a certain night. What was it like to kind of finally walk into that situation... ...which would be huge for a band and kind of go okay well we have this to a certain extent
2: I never feel like I have it you know I feel like every I mean we every show every single Ultra hour show is, to us is wildly different I, I mean I can't tell if that comes out or not but we never it never feels the same and that's detrimental to our mental health sometimes I think because you can't plan you know three hours in advance of anything but you know this whole tour was my favourite trip we ever did actually like this three weeks um,
1: just lay out the itinerary for those of those listening that may be unfamiliar with the autodours.
2: Ah, uh, you mean the dates like or At
1: the dates and not up, but like the range of travel also
2: oh I mean yeah we've uh, we've a uh, we've a tour manager and driver from Italy he drives from Italy meets us in our first date which is in Sheffield we fly to Sheffield all the gear in the back drive all around the UK drive to France drive to Germany and then back drive over. to Switzerland drive to Italy and fly home again and then drive around Ireland and do Ireland all in like three and a half weeks which is an absolutely mental uh, thing to ask
1: of anybody eh? yeah it's,
2: I love it never want to go home like that's how I feel but it is it is very hard like as well what anyway.
1: kind of toll does it take on the body mind you
2: I oh, mean, like pretty bad like even if you've got good accommodation like it's I mean we we, we we go hard when we play as well you know like I mean even the gig would take it a toll out of you so sit in a van for 8 hours the next day and arrive at a venue where you just have to sit up and play and like give it your all and maybe drive for an hour to the hotel and sleep anywhere and not know where you are yeah, your body's in bits actually, very quickly <laughs> And I think, if, you know, knowing people who tour Other people who maybe even tour a lot more than us Like, they, they you can't avoid the body being sore, you know It's it's kind of labour work, you know, it's labourous work As much as it doesn't seem like it so you're, Like you're sitting down and you're just playing on a stage But yeah, it's, yeah, there's something about it that takes its tolls, probably
1: Obviously, you know, being in a van for eight hours a day Before setting up and gigging and then heading off on the session, etc Only to do the same thing again the following mm. day how do you, I suppose, keep cabin fever at bay with each other? How do you keep, how do you coexist peacefully in such uh, an enclosed space
2: as a tour van? I have no idea. I think we're very lucky that we get on, you know. Um, I mean, sometimes, yeah, there's cabin fever. There just is, you know. But um, uh, I think we're in a lucky situation in our band where we all really like each other. I think we get on better on tour, I would say, than at home you know because it's kind of like we're in our element we're doing what we want and uh, I think we're very happy that at the end of every night we get to play a gig you know that's I mean I can only speak for me really I guess but if I if everyone's annoying the head off me inside the van I usually you know try and think about the gig that I'm going to do and I'm here to plug in my guitar into a nice Fender amp at the end of the night and try and connect with some people in a room you know you know like like old school like I always think of like Hank Williams and people like that used to drive around in the back of Vans or trucks selling codeine, like that's that's kind of where my <laughs> head goes to, and I kind of go, Look, at that's you know, when things are bad, that's what I revert to, and I'm like, All right, well, let's live that Hank Williams life then, you know. So, I don't know what more do you want in life? <laughs> Not much,
1: to be honest. <laughs> um, we'll go back to some of the tunes there that you've chosen for <laughs> us from the playlist. Um, soothsayer,
2: um, I just got into soothsayer, um, I've always been a big fan of the, like that doomy kind of atmospheric stuff, and uh. It's just really nice to hear a band do it of such high quality at the moment, out of Cork in particular.
1: And Ellen King, a.k.a. Elle, with Romance.
2: Yeah, Romance, um, incredible release and incredible track. I mean, just the style element of the mixing and the intro, the way it comes in and the, the looping and the kind of, uh, it's, just, it's just pure style and I love it. We're
1: going to get into that. So with Soothsayer on Red On Red. Romance here on Red On Red just about to wrap up the podcast there still joined in studio by Cahal McGowan we've spoken for the last hour or so about The Altered Hours and their kind of trajectory and the realities of touring releasing a record working with other people festival season beckons you know more touring for the EP surely is in the works what's the immediate future looking like for The
2: Altered Hours um, it's pretty fun at the moment. It kind of came home with, with from the European tour and tried to use all the energy and just go straight into the studio and started recording um, a load of tracks straight away just to, like, use some of that energy up. Uh, apart from that, yeah, we're kind of looking at some shows and we got some announcements coming up uh, very shortly, I suppose, in the next couple of weeks just for some uh, some shows and things like that, yeah.
1: Follow The Altered Hours on Twitter and on Facebook for more information. For those that are curious about The Altered Hours' new EP, Streaming online at thealteredhours.bandcamp.com as well as all good streaming services where in town can the physical specimen be found
2: um, I'm pretty sure it's Music Zone uh, Plugged Records Bunker Vinyl has it too yeah, yeah yeah, that's it
1: just off the back of Record Store Day last week of course we did a special with uh, Ray from Music Zone a couple of weeks ago oh, cool. lovely fella but just a reminder that Record Store Day is every day of the year that about wraps it up for this week's episode of Red on Red Call thanks a million for coming out
2: hey thanks Mike thanks for having me
1: this is Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast from redfm.ie. Thank you very much for listening, and if you like what you're hearing, please take the time to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, share this on your social media, and make sure to check out some of the artists featured online or at an upcoming gig. If you'd like more Irish tunes, please be sure to listen in to Green on Red on Sunday nights with Alan O'Donovan for the best of all that is Irish and Cork's Red FM, 104 to 106. Cahal, you're leaving us with uh, one more selection. Uh, from your playlist made for tonight's show, The Dearly Departed St. Yorda with Death Ray. Uh, you had a little hand in the recording of a lot of... Uh, yeah,
2: this actually songs. of this record, is um, I recorded it, yeah.
1: It literally yeah. called some, some Songs We Did With Cahill. Yeah, something like that,
2: yeah. I don't
1: Kevin know. <laughs> was obviously an important part of the band going forth. Roslyn is a big part of the scene now between yeah. Can't Cope, Morning Veils, and her own work in Crevice. Yeah. Did you have any inkling... Ten years ago, when you were experimenting and doing all these mad things,
2: precisely how good things would get creatively for everybody. Um, not really, but I mean, the only way I worked was I knew I was going to do it. You know, kind of even if I failed or not, <laughs> just to keep me going. So that was that was where my my uh, motivation was coming from. No, I had no idea. I mean, we were just we were just young and trying to do something cool, you know. And that's
1: the best way to be, yeah. as young as you feel. Yeah. And try to do something cool. Yeah. And on that note we're <laughs> gonna leave this week's episode of Red On Red with Saint Yorda with Death Ray. And we'll talk to you next week.
0: This is the Red on Red podcast on redfm.ie.